Blog Talk Radio. And now you're listening to The Green Zone on Blog Talk Radio. And here's your host, Julian Carter. Here we go. Go, go, go. Everybody out there in Jets Nation, welcome into another episode of the Green Zone. Uh, this is Dennis Agapito. I am filling in for the main host, Julian Carter, the CEO. He is out on business, you know, always looking to promote the show. So I'm going to be flying solo today, and uh, we're going to be going over the Monday night matchup with the Indianapolis Colts. We're going to be taking a look at the upcoming game with the Philadelphia Eagles. Just want to give uh, some information out about the show, how to reach us. We're on Twitter. It's at Green Zone Radio. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you just check the description in the Blog Talk Radio system, there'll be some links for that. I know that some people have requested it. Droid, Android devices tend to use Stitcher. It's a little bit easier for uh, those devices with Stitcher than it would be for, say, iTunes or the Blog Talk system. So you can now find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and on the Blog Talk Radio Network. But without further ado, I'd like to kind of get into what happened uh, this past week with our New York Jets, a, a, a big victory in Indianapolis on, on Monday night. It was, it was good to see them get – now, look, 2-0. I mean, I don't think most fans expected a 2-0 start. I think they would have been happy with a 1-1 start, and they knew they, they kind of circled this game on the calendar and said, you know, the Colts, hey, they went to the AFC Championship game last year. They have Andrew Luck. They've been in the playoffs since Andrew Luck has been there. They were considered an elite team coming in, even though they got beat up a little bit in Buffalo there in their first matchup. I think people felt like, yeah, they're coming home. This is a tough matchup. And just just to throw out a statistic there, they averaged 28.6 points per game in 2014. So we knew they had the potential, at least, to have the high-powered offense. But the Jets went in there, and I really felt that this was where the rubber met the road as far as this game went. A lot of people have talked about the turnovers, and certainly the turnovers helped. And some of the blitz packages that were sent at Andrew Luck were picked up very well by the Colts. Uh, some free runners created some turnovers. That was great. But here, here's, here's, in my opinion, where this game was won. In, in the trenches, as it usually is. I mean, the Jets' defensive line, even though they didn't sack Andrew Luck in that game, I, I believe, I don't think they had a sack. No, they did not. But they were all over him. I mean, there was, there were, they were getting pressure. They forced him to release the ball earlier than he wanted to. I think that helped lead to a couple of those interceptions. Um, he was trying to scramble and run. He fumbled the ball. So the defensive line was definitely doing a number on the Colts' offensive line. And you know, that's been an issue with the Colts for quite a while. Uh, where the offensive line has not really protected Andrew Luck very well. He's been hit a lot. You can see this as a problem with the Colts. 
this year that their offensive line is is a little bit offensive. But give the G, I'm not taking anything away from the the Jets defense. They played fantastic. We we know the the strength of the Jets defense is their defensive line, and it, the combination of the blitz packages sending some of the corners off the edge, like when Buster Screen came in that first interception, Calvin Pryor really really got them rolling. Uh, but they were putting pressure on Andrew Luck all night long. And I also felt that the Jets' offensive line did a very nice job, especially in the pass, passing game. Uh, just really good pass protection. Looked like Ryan Fitzpatrick had a nice pocket. He could step up in there. He could survey the field. He was given, he was given quality amount of time. So, I mean, that, that combination of the line play, the defensive line and the offensive line, definitely was the key, I think, in this game to – you know, for why the Jets had success. So, excuse me one second, just grabbing a sip of water here. Um, that, that I think was as important as all the other aspects we're going to take a look at. The other thing was this, and that the, the Colts, like the Colts never had a great defense. They were always built on offense. And um, a lot of guys banged up in their secondary. And when Vontae Davis went down, it looked like they had to just play like a, a kind of a too, too deep zone. And there were some, holes to exploit and the Jets did exploit them. Now, now Brandon Marshall was having a very good game playing against Vontae Davis, who's a nice cover corner before he went out of the game. So it, it looked like the matchups for the Jets on offense were, were pretty good. And, um, you know, just, just a great victory. There, there are some concerns though, a little bit with this game, looking at it. And that's been something with the Jets that has kind of always been there. And most Jets fans who uh, have seen the Jets as long as I have kind of know what I mean by this. And that's sometimes they lack the killer instinct and always in the game. And you look, most NFL games are close and you're biting your fingernails down, but you just like to see once in a while, a game where you just sit back and relax and just say, you take a deep breath and you don't have to worry. This game was 10, nothing for a long time. And Indianapolis was struggling, but they did move down the field on the half-yard line there. Frank Gore fumbles the ball, and it was 10-7 at one point, and then the Jets' offense kind of got rolling again. I just felt like the offense got a little bit too conservative. They were plus three in turnovers, eventually plus four. Felt like given the turnover ratio, given the way the defense was playing, given the way that uh, the Colts looked on offense, that the Jets could have kind of salted this game away in the third quarter been up say 20 and nothing instead of 10 to nothing and you kind of got this you know bottom of your stomach this little knot in the pit of your stomach there that kept saying uh you know the way this game is going the Jets should be winning by more and I I would feel more comfortable if if they were I I really thought the one point I think it was right before the end of the second half when Vontae Davis went out they they kind of ran the ball Folkman ended up missing the field goal. I thought maybe they could have been a little bit more aggressive there, given the fact that Davis went out of the game. But you know what? A win is a win. They're on the road. I actually predicted last week, so I'll eat some crow. But I thought they were going to lose this game. I thought Indianapolis would look more like the Indianapolis offense from last year, that you know they were going to put up close to 30 points, even though the Jets have a very good defense. And they're at home. They play better at home, all those kind of things. I felt played in there, but I mean, take a look at the Colts and we're going to, again, not to take anything away from the two defenses they played. We know that Buffalo has, has a very talented defense and they played in Buffalo and even 
those who are not fans of Rex Ryan know that he can run a defense, even though this week against the Patriots, they gave up a 40, a 40 burger, but um, they're only averaging 10 and a half points per game. I mean, it's only two games. It's a short time frame to look at, but the Colts are only averaging 10 and a half points per game. That's worse than the league um, for, for an offense that has Andrew Luck and T Y Hilton and, and, um, Philip Dorsett and Colby Fleener, and they have to have a lot of weapons out there. Here's somebody else I want to kind of mention quickly on the Colts is Andre Johnson. I mean, again, short time frame, but watching him, he looks like he might be uh, heading towards the end, a guy who's had a terrific career, and you can kind of maybe understand why the Texans let him go now. I think he's 34 years old, and it goes to show you that you know guys fall off a cliff in this league. I mean, that's unfortunate. You can look at a guy that's pretty good and then – one year and then the next year just looks bad, looks poor, looks like they're done. And that's kind of just the way it goes. Um, that's why the NFL stands for not for long and guys will just boom. So there's an old saying that it's kind of maybe better off to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. And uh, maybe the, the Texans made a good decision there. And I know that the Colts were just looking for kind of a, number three receiver they really weren't looking for him to be that number one guy but as of right now i'm wondering if he um how many catches did he have in this game let me look him up here quickly and um oh there he is he had three catches for 27 yards yeah so not really a big factor in that game and you can kind of understand again why the texans let him go but let's let's look at some things here that were, were definite positives for the for the jets ryan fitzpatrick 22 of 34, very, very um, efficient, 244 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, did throw a couple balls there in a double coverage to Brandon Marshall. I know he's trying to get the ball to his playmaker. Um, the, the, the one interception was uh, a nice job by uh, Mike Adams there to kind of corral the ball, get his feet in bounds. Uh, but you know what? I'll take the, I'll take the two, I'll take the two to one ratio any day of the week. And I'll take the efficiency as far as the completion percentage and all those types of things. Chris Ivory, Bilal Powell, uh, close to 100 yards uh, rushing. Again, Brandon Marshall had a very nice day, seven receptions, 101 yards. Decker, eight receptions, 97 yards. Those two guys um, have been the real deal so far together, working together, and you can see that they have a good chemistry with Fitzpatrick. He's looking for them down the field, uh, on, the, on third down. They're moving the chains. And it's, it's good to see. Unfortunately, Decker is now dealing with, and we're going to go into a little bit more of the injuries when we, we head towards the Philadelphia uh, preview. But Decker left that game early in Indianapolis with a little bit of a knee issue. He's going to be kind of questionable for this game coming up against the Eagles. It's unfortunate because also Chris Owusu is dealing with an issue as well, so he might miss the game. So now, now they're going to be tested a little bit with their depth at wide receiver. We discussed last week a little bit, Julian and myself, about Jeremy Curley. He's kind of fallen down the depth charts. I do have an article up on NewYorkJetsFans.com about a potential trade, looking at trade scenarios with Jeremy Curley. Look, if Jeremy Curley is going to kind of just be a glorified punt returner, and that's it, I understand that maybe right at this particular point in time, given some of the injuries and Devin Smith not being up to speed, that you may want to hold on to him as a depth piece. But November 3rd is a trade deadline. And if the Jets could trade Jeremy Curley, if they're not going to use him, he doesn't have an exorbitant salary this year, which the other team would be pick, picking up. It is guaranteed. But the other team would pick up the remainder of his salary 
at whatever point in time the trade took place. And even if they could get a late round pick, again, as long as the depth of the wide receiver position is in good shape, look, call up Walter Powell, okay? Get Walter Powell up here to catch punts. Because what, what are you paying Curley to catch punts for when you could be paying Walter Powell to catch punts and he could be your fifth or sixth receiver? So, you know, Jeremy Curley, for whatever reason, he, he, he's, he's not dynamic. He's not great. He's, he's decent. He was always good on third down. He has some pretty decent numbers. He led the Jets in 2013, uh, 12 and 13, excuse me, in reception and yards. So he is a guy. He's, he's a veteran guy. He, he's viable in the right system. Maybe there's some questions about his work ethic. Who knows? But some receiver-needy team might be looking to trade something to the Jets of value, and maybe it's best for everybody if they kind of part ways. The Jets get a draft. Another team picks them up, gets a veteran guy. It could work out. As far as the contract that he got last year, you know, I hear a lot of people discussing this, and it, it, was, it was really in line with a lot of guys. I wrote this on NewYorkJetsFans.com. Um, Andre Roberts, who's on the Washington Redskins, and Cole Beasley. I mean, if you look at their statistics, and now Cole Beasley was catching passes from Tony Romo. He wasn't catching passes with one of the worst pass offenses in the league last year. I know Curley only had 38 receptions last year, but look, who, look, look what, what the pass offense was doing. So if you look at the money that he got and his guaranteed money, it really was in, actually a pretty good deal given his statistics and where he had been at. And given what you thought he could be this year, I mean, we all kind of went into this season thinking that, yeah, um, Shane Gailey likes to spread out the field. You need wide receivers, you know, guys all over the place. And he would be a perfect fit. And unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. Why? I mean, we're all kind of speculating. Is it because he can't play outside in the system? Is it his work ethic? Is it just that other guys have surpassed him? Uh, Awusu, who I mentioned with, the, with dealing with the injury now, and Quincy Anunwa. Do they just like them better? Are they taller, more physical, those types of things? So wondering if Jeremy Curley's name will be popping up sooner rather than later in trade talks. Wouldn't be surprising if that were to happen. But before we move on to the Philadelphia Eagles and kind of preview that game, I want to take a moment and just talk about a couple of things with the Jets themselves. And um, I talked a little bit about the offense. It kind of, not sputtering, but you know, didn't really put the last nail on the coffin in that game and finally did in the quarter when they put that touch. And when it went to 17-7, you knew it was over. But one, one area of concern I have right now with the team is at tight end. Now, Jason Morrow, unfortunately, the rotator cuff or the shoulder injury, I believe it was rotator cuff, out for the season, was looking to have a big role in this offense. And, and just Jeff Cumberland, he has not had a catch yet this year. I mean, I know it's only been two games, but – He's, he had one ball thrown at him, I, I believe, in the Cleveland game, and he's been kind of non-existent. And I just can't see how you're going to go through a whole season without a, a viable option at tight end to catch the ball. I know Kellen Davis, when he's in there, he's mostly for blocking. He hasn't done much receiving over the last several years, and, and that, that's fine. You can still throw the ball with Kellen out there and be a little bit of a decoy. I doubt he's going to get very many receptions. So you really kind of need Jeff Cumberland to be a good run blocker and also be a guy, at least a threat, to, to be down the seams, to kind of take those safeties away. I think that would definitely help the offense as far as you know Decker and, and Marshall are concerned. If he could get in the flow of the offense, get a couple catches under his belt. Now the defense got to keep an eye on him. 
maybe that opens up some things on the outsides uh, for Marshall Decker, Owusu, or um, or Anunwa, or whoever is out there. Devin Smith, when he comes back, again, Devin Smith unfortunately got injured early in training camp, missed the whole camp. He's been back practicing, but the guy can't be up to speed with the, with the playbook just yet. They're going to work him in slowly as they should. So we can't really rely on Devin Smith right now to to have a major impact. As he works into the offense, we'll see where he fits. Again, that also will help sort of maybe move the process along of trading Curly if they're looking to do that, which I think they would definitely entertain offers. The other thing I wanted to talk about quickly was Stephen Ridley, the running back, who's on physically unable to perform. He can't come back till after week six. And I just, you know, I'm kind of thinking this out loud now when I was thinking in my mind before I came on the air, which is, I wonder when they activate Ridley and bring him on the active roster, who's going to go? Um, I, I, I'm going to take a stab at it right now and say it's between two guys. It's between Zach Stacy and Tommy Bohannon. And I look at it kind of almost like this, and maybe some Jeff fans would agree with me about Stephen Ridley. I know he's a veteran guy. He's been around the block, but he came in with a knee injury. Unfortunately, wasn't able to start the season, so he went on a reserve pop to give him some more time to kind of heal up. But looking back on it now, um, with Stacy, I know he's been inactive for the games, but if something happened to Ivory or Paul Powell, I think most Jeff fans would feel comfortable with Stacy coming in and and playing a role on offense until those guys come back. I know Ivory is dealing with a little bit of a quad, groin, whatever. But, again, these things happen. Almost every player deals with some nagging injury. Even Revis is dealing with an injury. doesn't mean that they're not going to play on Sunday. But looking at – hindsight is twenty twenty. but I think if you, if you had a magic uh, button to go back in time and get Mike McCagnon's ear and say, look, um, you're going to make a trade for Zach Stacy, and you're going to have Bilal Powell and Chris Ivory is going to kind of be your workhorse. And Powell and Ivory have been doing a decent job getting uh, nice averages. I think they're both over four. Maybe Ivory's four and a half per carry. That's good. But when Ridley comes back, I mean, do you want Tyne Bohannon off the team or do you want Zach Stacy off the team and re- replace him with Ridley? I don't think you're, you're losing that much, but what are you going to do as far as are you going to carry two running backs on the active roster during the games? That's a good question to ask yourself. Is Bilal Powell now the odd man out? I mean, right now it's kind of easy. Ivory's your workhorse. Powell comes in and spells him. Powell's a little bit better out of the backfield catching the ball. Not that Ivory can't have some receptions. He actually had 18 last year, which I was surprised to see. So he, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. But I think Powell, everyone would agree, is more of that pass-catching threat out of the backfield. Now, Ridley, for his career, just so everybody knows, again, he played with the, those people um, up north who we can't stand. But he, he only had 23 receptions in four years with them. That's a pass-heavy offense. Okay, so he's he's I know 2014 he was injured, didn't play the whole year, but he's not a big threat to come out of the backfield and catch the ball, Ridley. So if you're you're going to be kind of left with a difficult decision, which is are you going to bring on three running backs, Ivory, Ridley and Powell? And how are you going to divide up their carries and how are you going to use them? Or are you going to leave Powell inactive again? It, it, it creates some issues with the roster trying to you want to get to start. 46 on game day active you leave seven inactive so I think right now the formula with leaving Zach Stacy inactive with Powell and, and Ivory is, is is good 
that seems to work. If something were to happen, I think there's confidence in Zach Stacy to come in and fill the role. If somebody got injured, somebody had, had to miss a few weeks, I think everybody would be comfortable with that. It's going to be an interesting decision down the road. It's one to keep an eye on and say, um, you know, who's going to go and, and, and you know, cutting Zach Stacy, say, for example, if he took his spot, how it would work out. Uh, a, a kind of an interesting little side note to look at, keep in the back of your head. We'll be interesting to see the way Mike McCagnan handles this when Ridley is ready to play. And let's let's go into the Philadelphia Eagles game now because they come in at 0-2. And, and let's talk about another running back on the Eagles, DeMarco Murray, who led the league last year with the Dallas Cowboys um, in rushing. And it goes to show you what a great offensive line can do for running back. And no knock on DeMarco Murray, had a great year. Uh, but was running behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. And I'm just going to throw this statistic out at everybody. I know it's only two games, but the Philadelphia Eagles are asleep in rushing yards per game. When you have DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles, I mean, that is, that is atrocious. And I, I mean, I don't know what to pin it on exactly. They did let their both their guards, Todd Harriman, who was actually playing for the Colts, who didn't look very good. So maybe that was a good move by them. But they let Evan Mathis, Chip Kelly just said bye. You know, they didn't have a good relationship. And they have not been able to run the ball. They've been one-dimensional. Last year, again, here's another team like the Colts. Last year averaged close to 30 points a game. And this year they're averaging 17 Sam Bradford, kind of new in the system. I know Mark Sanchez is backing him up. Wouldn't be surprised if you saw Mark Sanchez come into this game on Sunday if Bradford continues to struggle. But here's, here's, here's an offense that has been able to put points on the board while Chip Kelly has been there. And thus far, again, a little short, little time frame to look at, but has struggled, especially struggled. Now, that's right up the Jets' alley here. I mean, stopping the run, if they can make this team one-dimensional and make them just throw the ball, and they're not successful. They were going a lot of three and outs. So their defense is pretty decent, Philadelphia. They, they have some playmakers on defense. And their secondary is still a little bit of a work in progress. But they're, they're, they, are, they were dynamic last year. They would, they would score touchdowns. Special teams, they were dynamic. They have a pretty good front seven. I know Kiko Alonso, who we all remember from Buffalo a few years ago and then was out at the ACL. He might be done for the year. Uh, Definitely not playing in this game. I guess they lost Cedric Thornton uh, for this game. He is, um, you know, a guy on the defensive line for them. Michael Kendricks, another linebacker, is dealing with a hamstring. He looks like he's going to play, but their defense is pretty decent up front. They, they've got Fletcher Cox and Vinnie Curry. They got some Brandon Graham. They got some guys who'll get after. By the way, the, just just to note this, that the Philadelphia Eagles led the NFC in sacks last year with 49 and Connor Barwin led the NFC as an individual player in sacks. So they, they have some dynamic playmakers on, on defense. They do. Their defense is pretty good, but if your team is going to rush for 35 yards for the whole game, your defense is going to be on the field a long time. And imagine if the jets rush for 35 yards in a game, how long their defense would be on the field. If I told you the jets rush for 35 yards in this game, total, I, I don't think you would say to me, I think they won. I think you probably think they'd lose. So the Eagles are going to probably try to be patient and get that running game going. Now, I know Chip Kelly, he loves his system. He's got his system of offense, that up-tempo, 
and, you know, let's rush to the line. Let's get a lot of plays. Let's keep you on your heels. Let's not let you substitute. But they got to try to get that running game going. And I think they got to make a commitment. If they're going to win this game, they're going to try to make a commitment to get that running game going. And if they're going to spread the field like they like to do, maybe try to create some holes. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a little bit more of Darren Sproles coming out of the backfield. Um, he's got a little bit of speed, you know, kind of that shorter, shiftier guy. Maybe they can get a little bit of production out of him rather than using Murray. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that try to get the running game going. But if the Jets can stop their running game, as it's already been shown, they will struggle the Philadelphia Eagles on offense. I think that's key. Make them one-dimensional. Make, the, make Sam Bradford throw the ball 50 times. Sam Bradford, it's, he's not really, at this point in time, coming off a couple of down seasons last year, missing the season with the ACL. I don't think he's ready to throw the ball 50 times. They, even in Chip Kelly's offense, I don't think he wants to throw the ball 50 times. Maybe you want to bring that number down some, run the ball, have a balanced attack, and then that system works great. But when you're one-dimensional, I don't care what kind of system you're running, it, it's not going to work great. But like I said about the defense, they are, they are dynamic. They can make plays. And it really is going to come down to Philadelphia's offense against the Jets' defense here, I think. If the Jets' defense can hold them in the rush game, I, 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 I like the matchups here as far as let's take a look at the receivers for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I do like the matchups as far as now here's an interesting thing to look at <laughs> with Chip Kelly is he's got gotten rid of some pretty good offensive players. Um, Deshaun Jackson kind of let him walk off. The, they, they, I think they released him. If I remember correctly, they just released him after he had a big year with them. Uh, Jeremy Macklin went to free agency. He signed with the chiefs, just kind of let him go traded. I know he, he got Kiko Alonso back, traded LaShawn McCoy to the Buffalo Bills, and got one of his ex-players, Kiko Alonso, back. But in my opinion, um, that trade thus far, I mean, again, if you had a crystal ball and could look in the future and say Kiko Alonso is going to get hurt and probably be done for the year, you know, LaShawn McCoy is a very good running back. And, and, and it looks like right now, giving their rushing numbers, that even with the offensive line, maybe not blocking as well. Maybe LaShawn McCoy would be doing a better job. I don't know. Thus far, n not so good with letting all those weapons go. But here, here's their wide receivers. And I guess Jordan Matthews, the second-year player at Vanderbilt, would be the, the go-to guy for the Philadelphia Eagles. And um, let's see, how many, how many catches does he have this year so far? I think 16 for 182 yards and a touchdown. And, and then after that is um, Darren Sproles, the running back. So really, you're looking at the, the one receiver. And Jordan Matthews is, is, is a quality receiver, but I don't think anybody's putting him in the Hall of Fame anytime soon. You got Josh Huff. He's the second-year player out of Oregon. Nelson Aguilar is the rookie out of USC. Riley Cooper, even, even, even Miles Austin um, is on the team. You know, a guy who uh, used to play for the Cowboys, always kind of injury-prone. So, you know, not really uh, – murderer's row there of wide receivers not terrible they do like to spread you out and try to create gaps and spaces and stuff but you don't look at one guy and say oh there's a julio jones over there or there's a there's an odell beckham i i, I don't i don't see that kind of dynamic play from their wide receivers they do have a couple of good tight ends on the team brent Selleck and zach Ertz. so they'll, they'll be something that maybe for the safeties uh prior Again, had a pick in the game. Ball was tipped and uh, had a nice pick, had a nice nice game as well in Indianapolis prior, who 
I got to speak with after the Cleveland game and had and mentioned that he's enjoying being back covering tight ends. Now that doesn't mean even with Todd Bowles system that he doesn't have to play kind of a cover two where he's playing zone, deep zone, or go up against a wide receiver. I'm sure there are aspects of the defense where he is matched up against a, a receiver or a running back. Obviously a lot of different defensive formations out there, but seems like he's very comfortable covering the tight ends. You might see him on one of those guys during this game. So, you know, that's, those are kind of the matchups to watch there. I, I, I wonder if um, their offensive line can hold up against the Jets defensive front. And that would be, that's going to be key there again for the Jets to kind of stop the rushing game. And let's take a look at the defense here, the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles going up against our offense. And again, the problem with the Eagles necessarily wasn't stopping the run last year. They were, they were pretty decent at it. Uh, it was, they were terrible at stopping the pass. They were one of the worst teams in the league. I think they might've been 31st in the league against the pass. And they kind of revamped their secondary a little bit. They brought in Byron Maxwell from the uh, Seattle Seahawks. They brought in Walter Thurman, who's now playing safety, actually. And he was with the Giants. He's, he's a cornerback, but he, he was with Seattle, a corner with Seattle. Then he would play corner with the Giants. Got hurt. Now he's playing safety with them. Nolan Carroll, who you might remember, is the other cornerback. He's, he used to play for the Dolphins. So, so a little bit of a work in progress there with their with their secondary. Um, when they play the Atlanta Falcons, now again, Julio Jones does this to a lot of teams, but they Julio Jones had a day against them in the opening opening game down in Atlanta when they played them. Um, so, you know, we have Brandon Marshall. We don't know about Decker, you know, but Brandon Marshall probably matched up with Byron Maxwell. Think that that can be exploited a little bit. Um, wouldn't put Marshall, no offense, gang, in with Julio Jones at this point in his career. He's 31, but certainly a lot taller than Byron Maxwell. Long arms, good catch radius. Um, I think that that dynamic right there having the size and the ability to kind of go up and grab balls will certainly help Marshall in this game if he's matched up one-on-one with Byron Maxwell and tell that Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to look for that one-on-one matchup when Marshall is going to be manned up with whoever the cornerback is he likes to maybe kill the play and call something specific to Marshall and you could definitely kind of see that coming out on Sunday against the Eagles. I am concerned a little bit about the Eagles, and this is why. They, they, I've mentioned about them being opportunistic with their defense, and, and they are, and they're pretty good with creating turnovers, at least they have been in the past. And again, turning them into touchdowns. I'm just looking up here quickly what they were last year as far as um, – oh, they were actually – well, they, they they lost a lot of turnovers. They created 28, but they lost a lot. So they actually were minus eight. But their defense does um, create fumbles and things of that nature. So this is this is where the rubber hits the road, folks. In this game, let's look at the Jets for a minute and go over the first two games. I think everybody would agree that the biggest statistic here for the Jets is that they're plus eight in turnovers over two games. I mean, they're plus eight. They've cre- they've created ten. 
And that one, we always like to say the defense created them, but there was one which Brandon Marshall himself created. So we got to give the offense some credit for creating a turnover. Brandon Marshall ripping the ball away from Tayshawn Gibson. So we'll give that one to the offense. But the 10 turnovers, um, you can't turn the ball over five times. In a, you can't expect that five turnovers in a game. It's great to win the turnover battle. So my concern is this with this game is that I don't know if the Jets can continue to have five turnovers, create five turnovers per game. Doesn't mean that they can't win the turnover battle. Maybe they're plus one or plus two, or maybe they're minus one or minus two. I don't. We don't know. Maybe it's zero. Maybe it's and maybe there's no turnovers, or maybe there's one turnover by both sides. So eventually, they're going to come across a game where the turnover margin is close enough that it's not going to be as big of a determining factor in the game. Obviously, I mean. Cleveland, look, they could have beat Cleveland even if they didn't get five turnovers. But once Cleveland and Johnny Manziel started fumbling the ball and it, it was, okay, put the nail in the coffin time. And it, it was like, to me, watching that game, you could tell by the middle of the third quarter it was over. I said this last week. It was over. Cleveland, Cleveland mailed it in. They were ready to hit the showers. They knew they weren't going to win. And it just it spiraled. The Jets were just vicious. They continued to attack. They continued to get turnovers. And, and, and again, that's great to see. This Colts game, a lot of turnovers created by the defense. Couple The, the Frank Gore fumble at the one-yard line, I thought was definitely – I mean, look, that was just one thing where they kind of got a break. But how many times – does the other other shoe kind of fall, which is you create a fumble and there's five guys around it, and somehow or another the ball squirts out and you lose it. So those things kind of even themselves out. But with watching that Colt game and taking nothing away from the Jets' defense, which I thought played fantastic, the turnovers, Andrew Luck was rushed. That caused a lot of those interceptions. Maybe he would have been better off taking the sacks. Also, uh, I have to talk about the penalties a little bit. Not against the Jets. Jets have done a nice job penalties I really don't think I remember a penalty in a game where I said oh that penalty killed them you know they're going to get penalties like any team but there haven't been where where it's I don't know third and one and they get a full start and you say oh now it's starting six they would have got a first down there it was a big point in the game but the other teams I mean, and again not to take anything away from the Jets defense maybe just the fact that they're in there they're being vicious the other team is just not playing well but a lot of penalties for Cleveland, a lot of penalties for the Colts. You'd see a nice run by Frank Gore, holding penalty. Now, look, maybe the nice run was courtesy of the holding, holding uh, that the lineman did, uh, offensive lineman incurred, so that's why it's got to come back. But a couple plays there where you look at them and say, oh, hey, well, okay, the Colts got a nice gain there. Okay, second and one, and then, nope, now it's uh, first and 20. So, one thing that the Jets have, have done well is avoid the penalties. And the other teams have been – I don't want to say they shot themselves in the foot because I don't think that's the reason ultimately why the Jets have won these games. But it's helped, definitely helped. If you look at these two games, the two biggest statistics here are turnovers one and penalties two. So the other team getting penalties certainly helps the Jets when they're pushing themselves back and they're, they're making mistakes. And, and you, again – the Colts, Brandon Marshall, Vontae Davis, he, he, he was getting a lot of calls, rightfully so. He was holding Marshall. He seemed like he was grabbing the jersey and getting and, – and, and the flags were coming out, and that's, that's good to see. So um, I don't think that necessarily I'm worried about the Jets committing a ton of penalties in this game, 
or the Philadelphia Eagles are going to commit a ton of penalties. I just wanted to bring that up as something that's really helped the Jets, as well as the turnover turnovers, get to this 2-0 start. Now let's look at some of the injuries here going into this Philadelphia Eagles game. And uh, why don't we look at the um, Eagles first. I talked a little bit about it. Kiko Alonso, he's, he's, he's going to be out with the knee. And um, Michael Kendricks, I believe, is going to play. Again, we'll have to wait and see. Cedric Thornton, the defensive lineman I mentioned, he's going to probably be out. DeMarco Murray is dealing with a little bit of a hamstring. Uh, apparently he pulled it, tweaked a little bit in practice. From what you're hearing, seems like he's going to be a go at game time. Um, you know, with the Jets, let's take a look at some of their injuries here. Uh, Willie Colon's dealing with a little bit of a knee, probably will play. Eric Decker with a knee. We're not sure. Again, we, we here's the hard part. We all thought that after Antonio Cromartie hurt himself against Cleveland, myself included, I, I'm like, it's kind of a really lost stretch to think that he's going to start Monday night after he was carted off the field. And we all thought the worst. We all assumed the worst. We assumed that's it. The season's over for Cromartie. And then he comes back and he plays seven, seven or eight days later. And, you know, so these things, these things sometimes they, they, they take a turn for the, for the best. And we all were very happy that Cromartie wasn't, wasn't seriously injured. Because at that point in time, we thought, oh, forget about it. He's never going to play. But Decker, Decker is iffy. Let's put it that way. Is iffy if he's going to play. I guess if you told me I have to put the million-dollar question, I love the million-dollar question, to be right or wrong, I think it's a PCL. I'm going to say maybe Decker's held out of this game. But, look, it will probably be a game-time decision. Chris Ivory, like I mentioned, he's dealing – now, Chris Ivory, it, it always seems like he's dealing with something. Running backs get banged up. But you know what? He's held out of practice. Um, you don't want Chris Ivory running around in practice if he's got some – if he's dinged up a little bit. Let, let, let him run around in the game. He doesn't need to practice. You'd like to see him practice, but if he's dinged up, let him rest. Let him, let him get the – the injuries heal up some and, and put him out there for the game. Uh, sure, he will be making an appearance in that game. And, and again, if he can, if they can run against the Philadelphia Eagles defense, again, they're pretty stout against the run. They'll, they'll make some splash plays. You know, stop. They, I think last year they they led the league in tackles for loss in in the run game, something like that, or they were, they were way up there. So they they can get to the running back in the backfield slice in there and make a play in the backfield, which will give you maybe second and long or something like that. Obviously the Jets want to avoid that. They like second and manageable, third and manageable. So we'll see how Ivory does against that defense. If, if, again, if he can run the ball and cut up that kind of average, going to be a good day for the Jets offense. Lorenzo Molden still dealing with the concussion. Um, he seems to, he's out of the hospital. We know that says that he's doing well. Just wonder if again, do you want to – concussions are no jokes these days in the NFL. Do we want to rush a young guy back who has, a, you know, a, a lot of NFL career in front of him potentially um, with, with a head injury? Probably be a game-time decision. I, I think maybe they feel confident enough right now to let Trevor Riley and Pace and those guys kind of handle that. Maybe you let him sit out one more game after the scary injury that, that – Again, looked a little bit scarier when he was carted off on the board and we heard about the neck and those kinds of things. Happy to know, again, just a concussion, which, you know, is serious enough, but no neck injury, nothing like that. I think he's going to be held out of that game on Sunday. Just, again, a gut feeling. Chris Owusu dealing with a knee. Uh, Todd Bowles had had kind of um, mentioned that 
He's looking at maybe a couple of weeks timetable, not exactly sure what the knee injury is. So, um, you know, again, if they're out without Decker and Awusu, maybe Curley can make an appearance in this game and, and do something. Um, again, Devin Smith would probably then be activated and we might see a little bit of him out there. Like I said earlier, going to work him in slowly. I'm sure he needs to get up to speed with the offense and it will be nice to see him out on the field, uh, getting a couple of reps with the offense, getting used to the game speed at a professional level. And the other one, well, Darrell, I mean, excuse me, Darren Walls was out last week, still dealing with a hamstring. Maybe he'll be out again. Don't think that's a humongous deal. Um, this is a humongous deal right here, which is Darrell Rebus. He's dealing with a groin injury. Um, all indications are that they're kind of doing kind of what they do with Chris Ivory with him, giving him some rest. But I, I always <laughs> – proceed with caution when I hear about these things because I remember a few years back when Darrell Rivas had a hamstring and it was kind of described as that eh, is a tweak you know he'll be ready for the game he'll be all right and then all of a sudden he's chasing Randy Moss down and he he grabs the back of his leg and then he's done for a few games so uh, you never want to take an injury lightly I'm not saying that Darrell Rivas isn't going to be fine for the game isn't going to be fine for the season that this is going to turn into anything more than what it is Every NFL player gets dinged up one way or another during the season, and they all go out. There's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Guys are hurt all the time, and they go out there and play. When you're injured, you, you can't play. And I'm not saying that this is going to turn into an injury for Darrell, that he's going to have to miss games. But <laughs> knock on wood, cross all our fingers, rub our rabbit's foot, we'd like to see the um, defensive AFC Defensive Player of the Week Darrell Rebus from this past week against the Colts where he had two fumble recoveries and an interception. We'd like to see him out there covering somebody, uh, whichever receiver, I would guess they would put him on Jordan Matthews. And you know what? That would be terrific to see him out there on Jordan Matthews man up because Sam Bradford's favorite target right now. The one thing again, with Darren Sproles being kind of his second favorite target, that's the one thing that does concern me because if a linebacker, is matched up on Darren Sproles. I mean, Darren Sproles is like 32, 33 years old, but he looks as fast as ever. I don't know what he drinks, but I'd like to know what he eats and drinks but, because I'd like to know. Maybe he drinks from the fountain of youth. So that would be another thing that I would look at and be concerned about. These little bubble screens to him or maybe to some of these other receivers, kind of these short, shorter passes, quick. If the offense is in rhythm and a linebacker is matched up on Sproles, might look to exploit that. Again, I'm sure Bowles is going to try to put substitute in guys if Sproles is out there, maybe to have somebody's a little quicker on him. Maybe Buster Screen will cover him. Or maybe I'm trying to think of who else. But maybe Gilchrist. Maybe even Gilchrist might be a guy who covers him in man. Maybe a little bit of mixer man zone to kind of watch for that little dump off pass to him out of the backfield. That's, that, that's one thing that I definitely am concerned about with the Philadelphia Eagles off the running game one and Darren Sproles, Darren Sproles concerns me because he's, he's shifty. He's fast. He does punt returns and he can hurt you in a lot of different ways. So if there's anybody on the Philadelphia Eagles, you offense you want to watch besides Sam Bradford is Darren Sproles. He will be the guy that will hurt the jets the most. If they allow him to, again, this is going to be a look, the jets are two and zero, and I'm thrilled. And, um, you know, we had some concerns coming into the, into the season. It's a long season, and everybody's, everybody's happy as they should be. 
but the Jets are two and zero. And look, if they go to three and zero, hey, sky's the limit for this team. They're heading to London to play a division game against the Dolphins, their first division game of the year. It's going to be the first division game overseas. It's going to be very exciting if they go into there three and zero. The Dolphins have a big matchup this week with the Buffalo Bills. So one of the teams in our division is going to go to one and two. One of them will be two and one. Obviously, that other team that's undefeated in the division. They're playing Jacksonville at home. Yeah, again, Jacksonville's improved over last year, but I don't know if that's a tough test for them on the road to go up there and beat them. So uh, maybe we can hang around, be 3-0, and still be in the lead there as we head over to London, and that would be great. It should be – It should be. A, I, I'm going to not predict the game. I'm just going to say this. I believe this will be a competitive game, a close game, even though Philadelphia struggled on offense uh, last week against the Cowboys. I think this is going to be competitive. Their back is against the wall, and the Jets are flying high, but they are coming off a Monday night game, short week, kind of a short turnaround. Yes, they are at home, which does help. I just see this being a close game, a competitive game, a close game, and, and a great game to watch. I think it will be fun to watch, enjoyable, and and you know hopefully the Jets can pull out the victory. If they do, I think it will be close. Might even come down to uh, uh, the last drive might really come down to the last drive by either team. And that's kind of the way I see it. Now the Eagles are looking at it like this. The Cowboys lost Tony Romo. I mean, even though they got off to a bad start, Hey, this division is up for grabs. The, I mean, the, is anyone scared of the Redskins at the one and one, the giants are and two. I mean, the Redskins and the giants play on Thursday night. So I, one of them is going to one and one and two or Oh, and three. So, um, it is what it is as far as the division goes. The division is now completely up for grabs where it looked like Dallas. They, I mean, they lost Des Bryant. They they, they lost uh, Orlando Skandrick, their cover corner. Randy Gregory, the second-round pick, was looking good, and he's been out for a few weeks. So they've really been hit hard by the injury bug, which has left the division wide open. Wouldn't be shocked if 8-8 eight eight won that division right now with the way things stand. So the Philadelphia Eagles are coming in to MetLife Stadium saying to themselves, look, we got to get a win here. We'll put ourselves right back in this division race if we get a win here. So, so their their backs are against the wall. They're going to be desperate, and and you know what? The Jets are flying high, and this has kind of got that all that feel that classic trap game for the Jets. So this is where I want to see. This is where Todd Bowles, where the rubber meets the road with Todd Bowles as a coach, because Jets are flying high, Jet fans are flying high, and we don't want to let down. Now look, if the Jets play competitive and they lose, this, this is what I always kind of said about. Football. Football games, every football team in the NFL is good. We know that. They're all good. And if you play a competitive game, you play hard, and you just lose, sometimes you tip your cap to the other team and just say, hey, we'll get you next time. As long as you're competitive, you're out there, and you say, hey, I saw effort, I saw a great game, and you know what, my team just lost, it happens. It's very hard to go 16-0 in this league, okay? That, that will be fine. This is where Todd Bowles has to have them ready. We just don't want to see this typical, which we've seen in the past, and I'm talking about way in the past from my experience with the Jets, when they always do the opposite of what you think. When you think they're going to win, they lose. When you think they're going to lose, they win. So this is a game where we don't want to go in there and see maybe a letdown, maybe a, a, a little bit of a clunker. We don't want to see that. We definitely don't want to, we don't want to see that period, but you certainly don't want to see that here. And I think it's important for Todd Bowles, maybe as a coach, just kind of, gives you a little bit of indication of, all right, how does he prepare his guys coming off a big win? How does he make sure to keep them focused and say, hey, look, guys, you haven't done anything yet. 2-0 and is great, but you haven't done anything. Don't anoint yourself champs of anything yet. 14 more games left. Each one is important. 
you know, every week you can't just let one slide by that you, you're going to look back and say, oh, we could have had that one. We let it slip away. And that's what costs us a chance to move on later in the year. So we certainly don't want that. And with that, I do appreciate uh, all the listens from everybody. I flew solo today. A lot of information out there. Just want to let you know that Julian and I will be back Monday. We'll have some great content from the Philadelphia Eagles game. And again, they're going over to London. I mean, Julian lives in the lives in the United Kingdom, and he's a Jets fan there. We've had some Jet fans on the show, and that's going to be great. Since the first division game outside of the United States, it is technically a Dolphins home game, but I mean, it is what it is. The fans come from all over. There'll be Jets fans. There'll be Dolphins fans. There'll be Bears fans. There'll be just fans of the NFL who want to see a game. It'll be very exciting, especially exciting if the Jets are 3-0 and going into their first division matchup. We all know that the division games are very important as the season moves on for tiebreaker scenarios, those types of things. The Jets haven't played a division game yet. They don't play until week four against the Dolphins. So we have the whole division in front of us to sort of look at and say, all right, let's take advantage of our opportunities. Just want to remind everybody that we are on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find those links in the blog talk radio description. We are on Twitter. It's at green zone radio. Uh, stay tuned on, you know, Sundays we'll have uh, whatever information we get. We'll try to get it out to you as quickly as we can. It's a good place to kind of keep up what's going on with the team. Uh, on uh, Sunday against Cleveland, was able to get some videos of the tailgates and those types of things out over Twitter. So hopefully we'll have some more content like that. But uh, usually this would be where Julian signs off. So I'm going to sign off for Julian Carter and thank everybody for listening and tell you to make sure to tune in on Monday for another exciting episode of Green Zone Radio. Thanks again.